Hello, welcome to Don't Call Me Exotic. I'm O Annie O. I'm a DJ, radio presenter, and promoter. This is a podcast where I invite people in the creative field to come talk to me about diversity, culture, personal experiences of racism, both in life and in their careers. I'd like to welcome my next guest, DJ, broadcaster, footballer, label founder, producer, and podcaster, Monkey. This is so exciting for me because not only do I have an icon in the room. <laughs> That's a big statement, you know. You're iconic. <laughs> but just like, you know, personally, you're such an inspiration Thank you. as a DJ, broadcaster, label founder, producer, and footballer, Thanks. and <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> Welcome, Monkey. Thanks. 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 Yeah. It's oh. nice to do something else together that's like creative yeah how are you today i'm good i'm good a little bit of a stressful day yesterday my little rabbit is sick oh you have a rabbit i have a house <laughs> rabbit and he's old and he's a little bit sick but he's doing he's doing good what covid he's now with covid he doesn't have covid he has a little <laughs> he has a little like limp leg oh, <laughs> oh but apart God. from that i'm very grand how yeah. old um do rabbits live well apparently a long time really i thought a couple years when yeah. i got him he's He's almost eight. Oh my god! Yeah, wow. Rabbits are not just for Christmas. No, <laughs> it's a lifelong partnership. I um, my dog. We had to put her down like a year and a half ago, but uh, she was eighteen. Wow. <laughs> I know. What's so it was like what was Gina. Big up oh, Gina. I know she. I know like she's a uh, Korean guard dog. Oh, so I know Asians live long, but we were like, wow, <laughs> like 18 is like 150 uh, or something. She had that good diet as well. It's insane. I Yeah, it was, but rest in peace. Bit of a, a morbid you. start from us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I know you got your start in music through radio. Yes. So can you tell me about, you know, your background and also your journey into music? Yeah, so I discovered electronic music I would say through radio yeah or my love of it I probably discovered it through my mum first but like not really realizing it like she would play like a lot of prodigy a lot of 808 state and then any, anything from like Madonna yeah to, like more sort of pop music and my uncle listened to a lot of garage as well mm. my mum my uncle both my uncles are relatively young so I listened to a lot of electronic music through them but not knowing just like in the kitchen yeah and then I got into sort of late night radio shows, like specialist radio shows mm. when I was about 16. I felt very lost as a teenager really? does yeah. at that period of time. Really oh. wanted to play football yeah. as, a, as a profession. Yeah. But back then it wasn't a profession for women. Yeah. So I dropped out of football. Everyone thought I'd work in sport or something. Dropped out of football. I just stopped playing completely because essentially like if it wasn't my job, I'd, like, I was kind of like, well, what's the kind of point? Yeah. So I stopped playing. And then, yeah, I was listening to Radio 1, like, really late at night, and Annie Mack came on the radio. And I was like, oh, what, like, what is this? This is a bit intriguing. Never heard radio like it before, because yeah. I was just used to, like, daytime. Yeah. And also, in South London, so many pirate stations mm. that you could just flick through the FM dial, and you would just come across them. Yeah. I don't know if that is still a thing now. Is that still a thing? I don't... I mean, because I grew up in Toronto, yeah. pirate radio wasn't... A like thing. a thing yeah yeah so, it's such a big cultural thing in london so i know this is a dumb question especially because like i do radio but like so you would just pick up a random fm thing so you would yeah. it wouldn't be the same every time no sometimes they would so sometimes they would switch 
if they had to, because yeah. I don't know if they had to like move or they got caught or something. Yeah. What was Rinses? I think Rinses was like, used to be 106.8 back in the day. Or was that still it? I should know because I was on <laughs> Rinses for three years. I can't remember. But when I was there, I think we must have gone through like a couple of numbers right but it was whatever was free right. essentially on yeah. the dial that's which seems so, that's so, so weird. exciting though actually <laughs> so yeah you would just flip through and it'd be like you know radio one i think it was like 98 point something and then you'd like keep flicking through and if like 102 point whatever yeah they would just latch on to whichever whatever was free. was free yeah yeah which seems like so like prehistoric in a way <laughs> oh my god are there pirate radio stations now there must i think there are but i feel like a lot of radio stations have moved online 100 yeah. because there's no point like why would you take yeah. that risk and the audience is so much bigger now yeah. if it's online like you can reach different countries and yeah new people like why would you just want to go down roman road and reach like 20 people <laughs> <laughs> so obviously like radio has moved on yeah but yeah ra- pirate radio and late night radio one was my entry point of like specialist dance mm. music essentially and i remember just like listening to a couple of shows like benji b on radio one annie mac on radio one toddler t on radio one Sick. and like the rinse shows uh stellar sessions from mm. scream and benga yeah like bbk had a show dubstep ha- wasn't like quite a thing yet yeah also i feel like dubstep's such a dirty word now it's so weird really people are like Ooh, dubstep <laughs> I when I first moved I to London, I loved yeah, it. When I was yeah, younger. I was listening to a lot of Scream. <laughs> yeah, I love Scream. Scream was like, and still is like an yeah. icon. Yeah, um, like a lot of garage and stuff like that. And so I was like, "Yo, this is it. This is what I want to do." Because whenever I thought of clubs when I was younger, I always just thought of the West End, mm. wearing high heels and like mini skirts. Mm. And I was like, "That's not." <laughs> I was like, "I will never like clubbing. Clubbing looks shit. Clubbing looks." everything that I don't want to do and feel completely uncomfortable and out of place. Like that is not me. And then I found like the underground Mm. essentially. And you know, went to my first rave, everyone's wearing trainers. No one really gives a fuck about what you look like. There's all different kinds of people there. And I was like, wow, this is sick. (laughs) This is me. I felt like I was looking for a place where I could be myself and like dance music was that place that I found. Mm. So I just, I quit school when I was just turned 17 so I didn't finish high school it's called like last year's college and I went and did a radio production course in Hackney at Point Blank yeah I did a course there yeah (laughs) yeah I think it's like the go-to place for like a three-month course and I learned I learned a lot because I didn't know anything about radio and I would practice like presenting (laughs) through this little laptop (laughs) that I had and I would reverse the speaker into a microphone and I'd hold the laptop up to my face and like talk into it over music and then like layer it over music and from there i got all the internships i could possibly get and that was everything from like a tv production company to a local station in in torworth called jackie fm which Mm. was like a radio station for like over four years Mm. there's a guy there called steve big up steve i big him up every time because i still remember he gave me a shot shout out steve yeah so steve gave me a day at the station um and we kept in contact for a bit and then it just so happened that he knew the people at rinse yeah like weird coincidence yeah and he was like look i know this station's not your vibe but i know do you know rinse fm i was like well yeah <laughs> and he was like how much how about i put you in contact with those guys so yeah. i was like okay cool so they put me in contact with a guy called rat oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and sarah lockhart who mm. used to be their genius yeah and we went back and forth 
on a couple emails and then I went for a coffee with Rat and he was like, yeah, cool. Like you've been recommended by Steve, come in next week. And I was like, wicked. So I was like 17 at this point. Yeah. Wow. And I didn't know what to expect because we were still pirate. Yeah. And it was kind of still a little bit of a secret where the station was. Yeah, where it was. Um, and I just had no idea. I had no idea what to expect. Mm. And when I got there, they were actually moving the station from across the car park to the new building. Right. So it's not where they are now. It's where they used to be opposite 93 feet east. Yeah. And where they actually used to be before that was like behind that is that big car park. And right at the back of the car park is like a, a little tiny like <laughs> derelict room. And there were like fag butts everywhere. Oh, God. And it was just like a mess. And they were actually moving the station from there into like quite a nice studio. Okay, yeah. The car park. And my job was to carry depth <laughs> and vinyl over to the new setup. Yeah. And I remember going into the office because the office was upstairs and DJ Zinc's studio was upstairs as well which is where like the whole Katie B album was recorded amazing and I went upstairs knocked on the door not really knowing you know what was going to be inside I had this whole like vision in my head of what this pirate station was <laughs> and I opened the door and it was like Sarah Amy who used to be on the door at forward at Plastic People Rat and Genius like all sat at desks listening to like jazz <laughs> and I was like this is not what I expected <laughs> at all. And I was just like, huh. Like, it was all very, like, I don't know why I, I just didn't imagine it to be, like, so civilised yeah. and organised. Yeah. And so I just sat on the sofa and then Scream walks in and he sits next to me. Oh, my God. And I know I'm, like, absolutely fangirl at this point. Like, still a teenager. Yeah. I've listened to this guy on radio. I've listened to all these people on radio. Yeah. And there's jazz going on. There's a lot There's, there's a lot, lot going happening. on. And he was just like, all right. And I was like, cool. And I was like, I know, I've known Otley for years now. And he was like, do you want a hobnob? And I was like, yeah, cool. And I just like took a biscuit off him. And I texted my mate. I was like, fucking hell, Scream just gave me a biscuit. <laughs> yeah. I stayed there for a couple of years. I think I was their first, first official intern. <laughs> oh my God. And then I became like a studio hand. Basically, I would help with the studio. Yeah, some wild, just like wild stories. That was, I remember being there when we got the license. They gave me 20, uh, it was like a score. They gave me like 20 quid to run to the shop and buy a bottle of champagne yeah. to announce it on, on air. Oh my God. And we were all stood in the studio and Scratcher announced it on the yeah. breakfast show. I got, to go, I got to go on tour with Katie B as her DJ for like a couple of festivals and her UK tour of support. Just like crazy stuff that, you know, I was still a kid, really. Mm. I was still a teenager. Yeah. And then I eventually got a show on a Thursday. Yeah. And then from there, sort of Radio 1 nabbed me. And so I was on Radio 1 when I, when I was 21. That's crazy. And so that was like my entry into into radio. And then gigging, like, Annie had a massive part in helping me out. My first yeah. my first gig was for Annie Mack at Coco in Camden. Like, yeah. And I clanged the shit out of every record. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I swear to God. Like... I didn't, it was so loud. Like mm. I'd never played in a club. I'd only ever played in my bedroom. Yeah. And so like going from that to like Coco, which is yeah. this huge venue. I remember having my track list like all set out. Oh, that's so cute. Like on, and like, you know, CDs. I was playing off CDs. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Such sick time. Yeah. And so thankful that I got to be a part of the station when it was, I mean, it was, it was going on long before I got there, like 10 years before I got there. Yeah. But just that very pivotal moment in time. That's crazy. Like yeah. when I listen to your story, it's just, it's almost as if you were at the right place at the right time. Yeah. In all these moments. Yeah. Not like belittling like your work or anything. No, Obviously no. you work like your ass off. Have a Radio 1 show at the age of 21 is like, that's mad. Yeah, it was crazy. And I later found out 
I think I was the first East Asian woman to have yeah. a show. Which at the time I was just so oblivious to. Yeah. Like I didn't, I was did, also 21 and not thinking about that kind of thing. Yeah. Did, when did you find that out? When I was like 27. <laughs> <laughs> so after you left? Yeah, after I left. Oh my God. But I, I was thinking about this the other day and I can't think really of other East Asian DJs slash women mm. in on national radio. Uh, yeah, there's definitely not many of us. I always find it funny as well that like, so my show was simulcasted on Asian Network. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure I was like the only East Asian person on Asian Network. It's a South Asian network, isn't it though? Is it explicitly that? I always saw it as a South Asian station. Yeah. Like I've done mixes for, but I've only ever seen South Asian presenters. Yeah. Yeah. And then me. <laughs> and then you, yeah. But I don't know, like, how do you feel knowing that now? I feel very proud. Yeah. Because I, I remember I put a post up about it and then loads of people reached out mm. from like all across the world, all Southeast Asian women yeah. being like, I loved your show. I used to listen to your show. Like it was a big inspiration for me. This is why I started DJing, blah, blah, blah. Oh my blah. God. And I just didn't, like this, it still feels weird for me to be that person. Yeah. Not Actually not so much now. I think I own it a bit better, but especially at the time, like I was still so young. I just didn't, I was just doing me, man. Like, I was yeah. just, I wanted to be DJ and that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. Everything else, I didn't really think about that much. But I think that's why it's inspiring people. Yeah. Because you're just being you. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know how to describe, I, I don't know how to articulate it because I, it resonates with me. Mm. Of course, I've been on this race journey my whole life, but it's only been the last few years where I've been like actively creating this podcast and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess I never wanted to acknowledge like, yeah, I'm the only East Asian DJ in this space. Like I never really like walked into rooms and like thought that. Yeah. But then to do that, you are being that representation that, you know, I, I, I didn't see. And I'm guessing you. I didn't see it. Also, like my dad's white. Right. Yeah. So like there's there's that. Yeah, M maybe like I just didn't see it because not that I didn't see myself as Asian, <laughs> like, but you know, half my family are yeah. white, so I would be a little bit more oblivious to it. Saying that though, I remember getting there and there was another lady who I don't remember her name, and she was East Asian and she was a producer mm. on one of the One Extra shows. Yeah, and I do remember thinking, oh, someone looks like me. <laughs> yeah. Cool. In the whole eighth floor of Radio yeah. One, like it was two of us essentially yeah. that I ever saw. Yeah, this is like eight years ago. Mm. So I do remember acknowledging that, and and then shortly after she, I think she moved jobs. So I do remember acknowledging it. I just never felt how influential it could have been to other people mm. until I'd left, and also educated myself a bit better. Yeah, grown up a bit, and it was nice. It was nice to feel like. I'd done something bigger than myself without realizing it. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't walk into each room being like, I'm the only, like, if you think that all the time, it's exhausting. Uh, like, yeah. you yeah. have to just carry on doing what you want to do. But throughout radio, through Rinse, through Radio One, I always felt accepted. And I think that's, that's why I loved dance music. That's why I got into it. Yeah. I can't actually say that about football, which I love. Yeah. Like, I love football so much. Yeah. It's my first love in terms of, like, passion. And I can't really say it about that. Really? Because football has a long history of mm. racism and, <laughs> like, like but, women's yeah. football's only just being accepted. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the fact... I, I think it's amazing. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. But, like, the fact that you quit football because you didn't 
feel like there was a career for you because you were a woman yeah but then to change paths into music because you listened to radio mm. and heard female presenters and that's yeah. why you felt like that it, in yeah. itself is saying so much yeah 100 percent. like until i heard annie on the radio it was like a light bulb went off in my head wow. as a young person but not even not even realizing it until i got older but i remember hearing her on radio and being and i remember talking to my mate in the car when we were driving back from school and we were listening to her show and i remember saying like i think i could do this like i think i could give this a go but it's because i heard her yeah. voice it's because i could see a similarity in her essentially mm. and she was a figure that young female presenters could look up to and there is that like age-old saying of you can't be it if you can't see it and like literally well you can't hear it but literally <laughs> like that was the turning point yeah was hearing a female voice yeah on the radio that did that kind of show yeah like you'd hear presenters in a day doing daytime and stuff but that like i you couldn't relate to yeah it. i couldn't relate to yeah. it it's not something i wanted to i didn't feel passionate about but yeah, it, and on radio, yeah, it's wild how far your voice travels. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes I can't think about it because it freaks me out. <laughs> it's <your> anxiety. <laughs> yes, it does. Do you not feel that way? Not um, at not 21. Anymore. Were you nervous? Oh, yeah, I was nervous. Oh, my God. I was well nervous. I came, my, show, my first show on Radio 1 was live after Zane Lowe. Oh, okay, casual. And I was <laughs> shitting myself. And I think... I got Zane Lowe's name wrong or something when I did the changeover. I called him like, I called him Vane Lowe or something. <laughs> something really bad. And I was oh mortified and just like wanted the world to eat me up. Yeah. So yeah, 100% nervous. But I, I guess like, you'll know, as you become more comfortable being a presenter, it then kind of just becomes like you and the producer. You're just like vibing off each other. It's so important to have a good producer. Big up Matt, fucking sick Aww. producer. Who's my last producer at Radio On? And then you're just sort of encapsulated in this like weird little world where yeah. you know like people are listening to you. Yeah. But you're also just in this tiny room listening yeah. to tunes. Like it's such a weird job, man. Yeah, I think sometimes I, I, I just like to think that it's just the room. And then like the, <laughs> the people in the office or something and I'm like, no one else is listening, it's fine. <laughs> it's when people come up to you and you're like, oh, listen to your show. No, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, but so I, yeah, it's, it's scary. How did your family, especially your mom is east asian mm -hmm. how did she feel about you quitting school <laughs> <laughs> so funny story <laughs> oh my god so my mom is like a bit of family background my nan is filipino mm. my granddad is chinese malay i always felt very connected to my philly side okay. but not so much my granddad's side just because the people that we were always around were like always philly and my nan like brought all the like her friends from church. We always had like barbecues and like all the parties we'd go to were, like Philly crew, and she had lots of friends. So that is kind of like what I associated my Asian side to be yeah. more with. Yeah, and it was always really fun. Mm. Like Philly parties are really fun, yeah. and there's loads of food. Always food. Loads of food. Yeah, <laughs> my nan loves to cook. My mum was born in London, like me. Mm. So yeah, she wasn't happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell her, essentially. Wow. For a while. Oh my God, no way. Yeah, because I was a bit scared, to yeah. be honest. I was very privileged enough to get a scholarship and a bursary to go to a very good high school, like secondary school. Yeah. My, my bursary and scholarship was sport. Like oh, it wasn't yeah. academic at yeah. all. But I got to go to this very nice school, which was, again, weird because like... I lived in a very working class mm. across from a council estate, but went to this school where people paid 
thousands of pounds to go yeah. to. So like the two worlds were just so strange for me to dip in and out of. Yeah. So for my secondary school, I got a really good education. Luckily, that school was very much about sport and also outdoor education and also about academics, which I did do okay in. So I think that kind of set the tone from an early start. Yeah. That I was going to go to university, which is also quite expected from Asian families, mm. I think. Mm. And also it's kind of drilled into was drilled into us at that school like if you don't go to college if you don't go to uni like you're going to fail in life oh not going to be able to get a job like creative paths weren't everything yeah and I always knew that just like I wasn't going to fit into that mold I didn't know why but I just didn't so there was that added pressure from school and also from like expectation from coming from an immigrant family yeah essentially they just want the best for you yeah and it was actually my granddad as well that was a bit scared of (laughs) (laughs) yeah is he in is he in yeah they're all in london like i lived i lived with my nan for like a long long time oh did you tell like you didn't tell anybody i told my dad what did he say he was super chill about it oh my god and he didn't tell your mom no well they don't they don't really get okay okay. they're not together okay (laughs) so yeah i knew i was safe like i knew the information would not pass over (laughs) (laughs) and he's very chill he's a real outdoors guy I'm quite similar to him in that, mm. like, I end up doing well in the things that I really enjoy and the things that I don't enjoy. Like, I know I may be capable of doing them, but I just, I can't put my brain to yeah. it. Um, and he was super chill. He was like, okay, cool. Like, whatever you, whatever you want to do. Like, wow. Okay. So I took my mom out to an Indian restaurant. Yes. And I sat her down and I told her over a chicken korma <laughs> because I was in a public place and I knew she couldn't shout at me. <laughs> It's smart. It's smart. It's, it's smart. smart. Yeah. So how long after you quit did you tell? Like, did couple you months? To... Okay. Couple months. Right. I basically quit and then I like worked for my dad and saved money up for this course. Mm. And after that, you know, mum, she was not happy, but yeah. she was supportive. Yeah. And I think because I was proving to her that it's something that I really wanted to do. You know, I remember going into Radio One to sit in on one of Annie's shows. Wow. Very soon after that, wow. I quit. And I messaged Annie on MySpace. Like that's yeah. literally how we contact each other yeah and she was like oh okay you're quite serious about this and also my mum used to go out raving <laughs> so she shit. knows yeah she used to go yeah. fabric like oh my god so she was not i don't think she was angry she was just like worried like she was just mm, worried and yeah. you know, my mum's super academic she's a lawyer went to university worked really really hard and she just wanted the best for me and i think this just worried her a little bit yeah so that's how i told my mum and it's funny because like my granddad was like really skeptical about it and then when i got a show on radio one he would be like listening to me on his ipad oh that's so sweet (laughs) yeah the family thing was an interesting one i mean yeah how do what's your family saying so my mom was an art teacher okay and she like she's an art she was an artist and art art teacher and my dad was a civil engineer okay i always went to like an art school since i was like nine and then I majored in like fine art in high school. And then so when I wanted to go to art school in London, it, yeah. like it just made sense. Okay. And I never really had, I never felt pressure from them. Yeah. I think also because like my mom does art. So like, yeah. Yeah. Even when I decided to quit my job, I don't like they didn't really put that much pressure on me. Or maybe I've like blocked it out. I can't remember. Obviously, there's those initial like worries and stuff. Yeah. But um, I think they just kind of trusted me that you know, as long as I'm not like borrowing money from them, that they knew that what I was doing was okay. And like, I had a plan, but yeah. I guess there's that extra like 
relief of you know your mum already works in the arts yeah sort of thing and she knows that it's a like you can space. you can make yeah. money off of it because essentially yeah. that's like kind of how they that's understand it right <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah literally that is literally how yeah how much money are you making? Yeah, like, because <laughs> okay. I think, yeah, when they when they realized that I wasn't borrowing money off of them, they're like, it must be fine, I think. Yeah. So, um, do you think that's like a universe? That, that must be like a universal worry. That's not just like an Asian thing. Asian thing, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I I think there is a lot of pressure to go into academics, and then from like Im- immigrant households, I think there is just like another added pressure because they always want you to like do better than they did and all of that, yeah. but. Yeah, I think the I think it is universal that they, people just don't want you to be be poor, be poor <laughs> and like be able to buy food. Yeah, but yeah, my gran and my granddad are both nurses. Wow. And my mum is barrister, and and wow. her, her brother is a stockbroker. Yeah. And my other uncle works in sales, so like it's all very to the book. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, you're like solid. Hi. Yeah, like <laughs> solid sort of. You know, you're gonna get a monthly check. Yeah. Job, and yeah. I'm like. I want to be a DJ. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you wanted to do football as well, because yeah. that's sports generally are kind of shorter careers and yep. stuff. So like, how did yeah. they feel about that? I just don't think they ever saw it as a career path because it wasn't. Mm. There were no professional female football players in the UK. None. So like, I can completely wow. understand why yeah. it was 100% just a hobby that I was doing that I just like to do yeah. with the boys Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. It was only in America that you could go and like get a scholarship, and I was actually quite unaware of that at the time. I didn't know you could go to to the states and get a scholarship and sort of play and be a college athlete and get your school paid for. Like I just, I was too young. I didn't, I didn't know about that kind of thing. But yeah, to them it was just a hobby. To me, it was like you know I had posters on my wall of all men mm. because there were no women. Yeah. So it was like Thierry Henry, Freddie yeah. Lundberg, like all the Arsenal invincibles, and like I wanted to play at Highbury like that's where I wanted to play so it wasn't until I was about 13 when I realized yeah oh yeah that's not oh that's so sad it's but isn't it so mad as well it's so sad when you think about it like when it's come such a long way here now especially but like if I have kids if I talk to them about you know when I was younger you couldn't be (laughs) like it's actually mad I'm gonna say that it is yeah but now it's sick I mean I went to the 2019 World Cup in France to work on a podcast and I was just like, the inner child in me was oh. so gassed. Oh my God. That there was like females playing on this stage and so many people watching, like little girls, little boys, lads, yeah. families. And it was just like, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, this is so amazing. This is like everything I dreamed of as a kid. Yeah. And I'm so happy that this yeah. is a thing now. And so this is why I went back and started to work in the space in any capacity that I could in terms of football, like media and stuff. Because I just wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. Because it's such a, like, pivotal time in the sport. What, and an exciting one as well. What, like, made you go back to start playing as well? So I was, like, 25. And I was like, God, I really missed something. And I don't know what it is. It's like something from my life is missing. And I'm, yeah. I'm really, I can't put my finger on it. And I was like, it's sport. And I had stopped playing for it at that point for, like, eight years. And it's something I would do every day. It's something that like paid for my education. Mm. And I had just stopped all forms of exercise. Yeah. Which is so, like so many girls do it at that age for various social reasons and pressures and in motion. That's why yeah. I exercise. <laughs> um, and so I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go back and play five-a-side. And I went back and I joined a five-a-side team and then joined an 11-a-side team. And then I was like, cool, I want to make this like a stable part of my life again. 
and yeah probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my adult life is wow. to start playing sport again yeah because it gives me something that I can't get from anything else yeah and like moving your body and exercising is just so important for your physically and like for your mental yeah as well that's why I got back into it but you know DJing and football don't always go hand in hand yeah but I feel like you do need but well maybe you can make it I think I make it work well. Yeah. And I, I'm lucky enough in my career now where, like, I can pick and choose things yeah. that I do. You know, I partied for a long time. I was on Radio 1 at 21. All my mates coming out every weekend. Yeah. Great. It was <laughs> sick time. You know, I don't regret it wow. at all. Yeah, yeah. Like, I had a wicked time. Yeah. But I also got to the point where, like, I was like, it kind of gets the same. Yeah. You sat at an after party and I'm like, what am I doing? It? <laughs> Everyone has that moment. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I've been doing this, like, you know, four years now let's move on <laughs> yeah talk to me about emotion collective yeah so in motion is a creative collective of women that was born out of lockdown mm. really the two other founders are al greenwood who's a drummer from sports team in her other job mm. and salon hickman who is the head of brands at fbb which is a football-based charity that basically uses football as an educational tool to help uh kids in school amazing um so three of us got together i actually approached salon out of training at training because we play football together with this idea and as ever was not very well thought through didn't have a business plan <laughs> it was just like mumble jumble in my head and i needed <laughs> someone to splurt it out to i was like you know like we work with all these brands and in sports like all three of us do because our plays football as well we're asked to tell stories about like women's movement and women's sport but essentially these agencies quite often they don't know what really what they're talking about because they're ran by like 40 year old men and then yeah. they just bring us in to tell the story pay us peanuts and mm. then like it's still through their eyes it's still through their eyes it's controlled through them essentially yeah. and i was like kind of sick of it yeah like why don't we just start our own thing mm. and she was like let me introduce you to my friend al so those two went to university together so we jumped on a zoom call we all spoke about it and we're like cool let's go let's get going <laughs> so we ideated for like six months about like what essentially we wanted to be about what we wanted to push why we think it's important and essentially we were like for so many reasons women have so many barriers in sport and movement and we want to break down those barriers whether it be through conversations or you know teaming up with brands so for a long time we were like we don't really know what we are <laughs> We just know like what we want to do. Yeah. So we ideated for a long time and then we started to put ourselves out there to different brands and different companies and stuff. And yeah, the first year was kind of mad because we did some really big projects with like Adidas and Arsenal and we were like, okay, we're really doing this. Mm. And you were in one of the yes! projects. That's how, we met. <laughs> That's how we met. Yeah. Which was a really, yeah, it was a really fun day. Yeah. Like it was such a fun day. So for the listeners that don't know, essentially we were asked to uh, come up with a concept that would bring two of their products together. One of them was a pair of like sports shorts that you wore that would protect you from leakage if you're on mm. your period, which is a, a barrier that so many women face, young women especially, about they stop playing sport because their period starts and they get they get worried that they're going to leak in their sports shorts. Oh my God, that whatever. actually breaks my heart. And the other one was the Adidas's first full body swimwear piece. So we basically got asked to create a story or a bit of content to bring those two products together. But they were really cool about it because they were like, look, we don't expect you to sell the product. Mm. We just want you to bring them together yeah. in a way that is meaningful and yeah. makes sense. 
and the idea that we had was for you and a, a mm-hmm. lot of other amazing women to write letters to their body expressing gratitude and how mm. they felt and it was I did, I did one and Al did one and you did one and yeah. it was really it was actually really eye-opening like I've never done I've never sat yeah. down and done that before I don't yeah. know how you felt about oh, it oh like broke down yeah <laughs> I think any moment where you have to self-reflect and like speak to yourself in a in a voice that you would speak to like your friend mm. to speak to yourself in a nice way I think yeah. it was just really different yeah yeah how did you feel <laughs> Yeah, I think it made me realise quite a lot of things. I think one of the things I put in there was like, I apologised for treating my body really badly for a few years. My party face. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Later in life, I went back to exercise and I was a lot better with my diet and sleep as well, which is such a hard thing to do when you're a touring DJ. It's so hard. And I also thanked myself. But what was special about that day in particular was that everyone who was part of that project in a position of power, like the director and stuff, everyone was a woman, yeah. which was sick. Like it was so sick. Mm. Like the director, India, the head camera op was a woman. The designer was a woman. Everything down to the people that we hired the kit from. Yeah. Woman owned, like, yeah. a woman owned this business. Yeah. And obviously all the talent as well. Yeah. And it was just really fun. Like, it was so fun. Yeah. And, like, everyone worked amazing together and everyone understood and believed in the concept. Yeah. And that was the one of the things that we wanted is we didn't want talent just to, like, turn up and be on shoot and do the shoot for Adidas and then, like, be like, okay. We wanted them to, like, read each other's letters yeah. and really buy into it, essentially. But yeah. not w- without trying because we know it's an important... No, it was really meaningful. And the feedback I had from people... After they saw the post and like the letter was just like, it it really touched a lot of people. Yeah. It was so fun. Yeah. It was my favorite shoot of that year. Yeah. By far. So that's, that's in motion. But it just comes to show like, this is needed. We need female voices and we need female perspective. Yeah. And our experiences as well. Like it's, it's needed. Yeah. When brands tell these stories, they need to be told through the people that have lived them. Mm. Like, that's the most important thing. They need to be genuine. Yeah. And at the end of the day, good storytelling is going to sell product. Like, if that's because that's that is their target, really. Let's yeah. Be honest. Like, that's yeah. the target. But you can use it in a positive way and like good storytelling and genuine storytelling. Yeah. They don't have to worry about things being sold. Yeah. Because that's how people connect to. Yeah. Like they, if they see themselves in these experiences, then they'll be like, oh, actually, I might need those shorts. I might need those trainers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to end on a quote that was written in a Red Bull article last year. And it's by it was written by Emma Finnamore. And I thought we kind of touched upon this before, but it really it just made me feel like really connected to you. Um, she wrote, despite her plans to improve the health of countless women and the fact that Asian girls have contacted Monkey to tell her how much she's inspired them, she doesn't view herself as someone pushing for equality. Her boundary breaking is more personal, centered purely around her tenacity to do what she loves despite any risks or hurdles. And I just thought that was really nice because oh. you're just being you and like inspiring loads of people and breaking boundaries without... Just by just by being you, like I said before, I'm fi- I find it quite difficult to articulate this feeling. Yeah. Because I'd like to think that you know people are inspired by maybe things that I I might do, but I'm not like 
consciously thinking, I'm an East Asian woman and I must <laughs> set a precedent and I must be the first person, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it is, you know, opening yourself up to spaces that you don't see representation in. Yeah. It's like a really brave thing to do. So like, I don't know, I just thought that quote was really yeah, a nice way ever. to... Oh, massively, like keep doing things. And if ever, anyone's listening to this who can relate, Keep doing what you love yeah. in space, even if the spaces don't really feel like you belong there and the ripple effects that you will probably have without even realising it until you maybe get a little bit older means so much. Yeah. It means a lot yeah. to people. And, I, and to yourself as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's so empowering. <laughs> it's so empowering. Yeah. Just to be like, fuck you, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And I belong here. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Can you drop your socials so everyone oh, can yeah. follow you? Instagram's probably the best place to get me. Uh, monkey, M-O-N-K-I DJ. And then Twitter is kind of the same, monkey underscore DJ, but I mostly talk about football. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. And Emotion? In Motion is In Motion Collective. And if you want to listen to my radio show, Head to Defected, I do a show on there every month can listen to me chat and rubbish and listen to music. Yay, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Annie. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Monkey. I'll be back next week, so make sure you subscribe, follow, and rate this show to keep posted on new episodes. You can also get in touch with me at Don't Call Me Exotic Pod and at O-N-E-O on Instagram. You can also send me an email at Don't Call Me Exotic Pod at gmail.com. Oh, and make sure you don't call people exotic. Bye.